Welcome to Product Voices, a podcast where we share valuable insights and useful resources to help us all be great in product management. Visit the show's website to access the resources discussed on the show, find more information on our fabulous guests, or to submit your product management question to be answered on our special Q&A episodes. That's all at productvoices.com. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Now, here's our host, J.J. Rory, CEO of Great Product Management. Hello, and welcome to Product Voices' first Q&A episode where we answer questions that have been submitted by folks in the product community. You can submit a question for our next Q&A episode on productvoices.com or by tweeting us at prodvoices or JJ Rory. That's J-J-R-O-R-I-E. Also, if you'd like to be on the Product Voices Council, where I tap into you to help answer questions from the community, reach out to me. Again, productvoices.com, Twitter, or find me on LinkedIn. Okay, so here we go. First question of our Q&A episode. Do you have any tips or advice for people in non-product roles, for example, community managers, recruiters, administrative assistants, who work regularly with product managers? How much should we get involved and familiarize ourselves with product to better support and engage with our product managers? So first of all, in the answer, I want to thank Lori Edwards and, and Megan Schulby specifically. Um, they were two people who uh, gave some really good feedback on this answer. So I'm going to be sharing their perspectives as well as a little bit of mine. So um, we're going to give two perspectives on this question. The first is the perspective of the teammate, uh, the person not in the product manager role, which I believe is the original intent of the question. And then we'll also give uh, the product manager's perspective. So Let's start with um, the the person not in the product manager's role. So again, community manager, recruiter, admin assistant, et cetera, someone like that. So here's what Megan Schulby, product leader at AT AT&T, had to say about it. I'd say that one thing that adjacent teams could do is to familiarize themselves with the product development value stream and understand where they fit into the overall mix. Oftentimes, adjacent groups work far too much in a silo, and it's on the product manager to connect the dots at very basic levels. If this step can be skipped because adjacent teams are familiar with their counterparts and dependencies, collaborative efforts, and turnaround times for specific deliverables decrease dramatically. I love this view by Megan. Um, yes, anything that that anyone in the product ecosystem can do to familiarize themselves with processes, um, with how things work, with the rituals and the activities and the decision points that that we're making uh, within that product team, it's going to benefit all of us. Um, you know, the more that they can do to understand the product vision, to understand the customer problems, that will help connect those dots and make the interactions and cross-functional activities all the more connected to those important drivers of the why behind what we're doing. So if you're in one of those product manager adjacent roles, you may not be able to know all the details, but maybe you could shadow a product manager for a while, attend some meetings uh, when possible, immerse yourself as much as possible in the problem space for a while, even even if your job is squarely centered around the solution, if you're on the operations side or the engineering side or or the 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 sales side or whatever it may be, if you can 
immerse yourself in what we call the problem space, really, and understand those customers and the why behind everything we're doing, that will give you a fuller perspective and that will help uh, not only the product managers you're working with them, but but it will help you as well, hopefully do your job uh, in a more um, impactful way. Okay, now let's take this same question from the product manager's perspective. So Lori Edwards, product leader at Niche, has this to say in response. One thing that may be great to talk about is how to bring an idea to a product manager. The one thing I hear all the time is my feedback or idea never gets on the roadmap. Many times it's because we, the product manager, don't understand the actual opportunity that's being presented to us. We only get told a solution. This is really good advice from Lori. So as a product manager, let's make sure that our teammates understand how to bring ideas to us, like put easy mechanisms in place to submit and gather ideas. But more importantly, let's make sure our teammates understand what we're looking for in ideas. We, we don't want to throttle creativity, but we do want to have a certain amount of information, a certain type of information about any idea that comes our way. So it may go back to our teammates understanding the customers first, like we talked about in the first part of the, the answer to this question, uh, so that they can bring ideas around the customer and the problem and not necessarily specifics around a finite solution. So taking that from both our teammates' perspective and our perspective as the product manager, um, I think really helps us see, number one, the collaborative nature of product management. It's not, a, it's not incumbent only upon the product manager to, to teach everyone else. It's also not incumbent only on them to do what we need them to, right? It's, it is a collaborative uh, effort and, and certainly a cross-functional world that we live in. And so I think it's really important. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Megan, for your takes on that. And I think it's it's a really good and important way to look at how to engage with each other. It's all about those relationships. It's all about what we can learn from each other and, and, and what we can take from each other. Okay. Question number two. What are some of the best ways for a product manager to gather customer data? Here's my take on it. Um, customer intelligence, customer feedback, it's not a point in time activity. It's naturally underpinned by constant investigation of the world around us and around our customers. Um, and, and kind of a high level of customer intelligence is really a byproduct of persistent curiosity on the part of the product manager. Um, there's certainly no shortage of frameworks and methodologies and expert advice on how to best gather feedback and intelligence on our customers and markets. But here's here's the truth. Throughout all of my years in product, and it's been a lot longer than I like to admit, um, I found that it really comes down to doing three simple things. Studying the world around us, discussing what's happening, and observing our customers' environments with our own eyes. It's really that simple. Now, we have to do that consistently, right? But that's it. Study, discuss, and observe. Those practices, if done consistently, lay the groundwork for really everything we need to build a high level of customer intelligence and to gather the feedback we need on customers. Now, of course, there are mechanisms with each of those that work better than others. Um, but Remember, it's it's really about finding a routine that we can commit to. It's about something that you can be very intentional about. And, you know, you don't wake up one day and say, gosh, I haven't studied, discussed, or observed anything around my customers in a month. You can't do that. That's not the world we live in. Our, di our worlds are too dynamic. 
um, our products, our customers are moving too quickly that we've got to have a really consistent cadence on these things. But what I found is that if you put into practice a habit, a consistent, intentional practice of studying, discussing, and observing, you will be better off and you will have all of the information that you need on your customers. Obviously, the study, discuss, observe method is not rocket science. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I have found that it works. It doesn't take rocket science to build a high level of customer intelligence and insights. It takes consistency and commitment. So let's talk very briefly about each one. Study. Look, there's just no shortage of ways that you can build your knowledge on the industries in which your customers do business or their environments, your own industries, global happenings, right? Great product managers are voracious consumers of information, business media, books, podcasts, webinars, conferences, financial reports of your customers and your competitors, right? So just all of these various ways that you should be a student of business and a student of the industry and a student of your co- of your customers, okay? So again, find a habit that works for you. I personally like to listen to podcasts. I like to go on walks during the middle of the day and I'll listen to either, you know, business news or my favorite podcasts or what have you, right? You just need to find something that works for you. There's no shortage of information out there. It's just finding the ways that you can do it in a consistent way to keep customer feedback top of mind. Discussions, I mean, look, it's it's about having those very pointed, important discussions with your customers. You should be conversing with your customers on a periodic and consistent basis, whatever that means for you. If that's daily, if that's weekly, if that's biweekly, what have you. But you should be having those customer conversations. And I personally have found that the less a conversation looks like an interview, the more impactful it can be, the more productive it can be. The other thing that that you have to think about from a discussion perspective, and again, just discussing the world around you, is you've got your, your peers, your teammates around you constantly. So you should be talking to your corporate strategy folks, your sales and account management peers, your business uh, businesses leaders, your engineering and design, finance, customer service. All of these people are experts in their own way about the customer, and they can bring a perspective to your viewpoint um, that you may not have in your day-to-day work. Now, What's important about having these internal discussions is to make it not necessarily just about the day-to-day work. Don't make it about the project or the sprint you're working on or this or that. Make it truly about customers and industries. Make it a learning circle, right? And just have these conversations on a periodic basis. And then I'd also even suggest having some external discussions. Like maybe you've got industry analysts that that make sense to have some conversations with. Maybe you want to speak on panels or go to conferences and talk to other folks that are in your industry. And then finally, there's probably no better way to really get into a customer's mind and, and, and behaviors um, as observing them. Right. So you've got to get out there and, and, and watch your customers either use your product um, in their environment or just go through their natural course of life or business. Um, customers aren't always going to articulate to us what's going on in their world when we're on the phone with them, when we're you know talking to them. And it comes down to being very consistent about studying, discussing 
and observing. Okay, third question. With all the discussions and implementations of KPIs and OKRs, how can a product manager keep things simple and effective to ensure a successful product? I love this question. So again, if my answer to the previous question didn't indicate, I I believe that we sometimes make product management a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. Now, I don't mean to minimize um, the complexity of building successful products. It certainly takes many people, many decisions, risk assessments, a lot of estimating various work, a lot of data, and ultimately predicting market dynamics and customer behavior. So, of course, that's not easy to gauge and hence why we don't get it right all the time. In fact, we get it wrong quite often. So it's certainly complex, but I do believe we tend to overcomplicate it a little bit. I think we tend to become paralyzed with doubt, uh, pursuit of the perfect data, try to de-risk every situation, and and we all know that's not possible. So so at a certain point, we just kind of have to get going. We just have to use the best rituals, the best tools, and know what we know, make the decision, learn better, change our decision as we go. Okay? So back to the specific question, OKRs, KPIs, how do we keep it simple with all of these things floating around? So OKRs are, of course, objectives and key results. KPIs are key performance indicators. Um, I, I actually believe in both of those tools. I think they can be very beneficial if if done right. Um, OKRs, just a little bit of background, they're, of course, designed to help a team set big goals and then measure um, those goals to stay aligned and on track. And they're typically written as one objective and then maybe a few key results, right? So an objective and then a few key results uh, on which the objective will be measured. KPIs obviously are important indicators of progress and success. Usually they're a blend of both lagging and leading indicators, meaning it can be viewed on what happened, which is lagging, what is going to happen or what is indicative of what may happen, that's leading. So basically looking backward and forward. So KPIs tend to be a balance of that. So back to the original question. I I don't think OKRs and KPIs have to make things more complex, but we as as product folks um, and as business folks, we tend to do that. So here's my my, uh, advice uh, on ways to keep it simple. Um, Just like every ritual, every tool, it can add a layer of complexity and confusion if we don't try to keep it simple from the very beginning. If you're going to use OKRs, be selective. Have two or three per quarter. This will help your team stay focused. If your team has six, eight, ten OKRs, they all get diluted. And it's really hard to focus on the most important things. Keep it simple. Find two or three OKRs that you want to focus your team on. Same thing with KPIs. Measure what matters, nothing else. Okay. Ultimately, whether you use OKRs, KPIs, neither, both, um, I have a few questions that, in my opinion and in my experience, have always kind of centered me on the simplest thing that matters the most, right? So again, you want to use tools like OKRs that helps your team. That's perfect. I'm all for it. Keep it simple. Only have a few, but fine. But here's what I do. Before I ever get into using any kinds of tools or, or, um, you know, rituals or artifacts or what have you, I just ask myself these three questions and have our team ask these three questions. First and foremost, does it matter to customers? That is as as simple as it can get. And if we can't answer that in a validated 
uh, affirmative way, then why in the world are we even doing it, right? So does it matter to customers? Okay, let's say even if you can answer that, yes, it does, and here's why, here's the proof, you may want to ask yourself a sub-question, which would be, how many customers? right? So, or which type of customer? So it's a a lot of, especially B2B companies fall into the trap of one big customer asks for it and they go with it. Well, that may not be the direction you want to go. So again, does it matter to customers? Yes. Okay. How many and what type of customers, right? So how many is, is this just a one-off, uh, one-off request? Or is it a a larger swath of the customer base that could use this? Which customers or types of customers may be important because some segments may be more important to your strategic plans, to your growth plans, et cetera. Okay. So if you can ask and answer the question, uh, does it matter to customers in a yes? And then those sub questions make sense. Go on to question number two, which is will customers pay for it? Okay. Now, I get some functionality isn't always incremental revenue. And so you may have pay for it being defined a little bit differently. Pay for it by sticking around, pay for it, pay for it by, by other residual uh, value, or it may be true incremental revenue. So if your customers uh, value it and it matters to your customers, question one, will they pay for it in their, with their pocketbooks or their actions? Then you need to ask a third question. If you're if you can't answer one and two affirmatively, you need to move on. It's not something that you really should be doing anyway. If you answer yes to one and two, then you say, okay, is this taking us in a direction we want to go? Right? Is it where we want our product to go? And is it where our company wants to go? So even if you can say yes, it matters to customers and yes, they'll pay for it, it still may not be aligned with your strategic direction. Okay, so question three, is it taking you in a direction you want to go? That's going to help you examine the long-term impact of the product or the solution or the functionality. Okay, so it may be something that could sell quite well, but it requires you to focus on a, a geo, a geographic market or an industry that you intend to exit or deprioritize over the next few years. Right. And so you may not want to go in that direction. Or on the other hand, you may actually like the the benefits of that legacy market and you have this opportunity that you can you can get a little bit more from over the next few years while you have the chance to focus on higher growth efforts, right? So that's where um, kind of judgment comes in. No prioritization matrix is going to make that determination for you. If it's not necessarily where you want to go in the long term, sometimes you'll do it anyway because it gives you ground cover for higher growth efforts. But then sometimes you also just think it drains your your resources and where you want to go. So even though a customer may value it and they would even pay for it, it still may not be something you do. So again, keep it simple. You want to use KPIs, OKRs, all the other tools in the world, great. Make it as simple as possible. But at the end of the day, if you really can't answer those three questions, does it matter to customers? Will they pay for it? And is it where we want to go? Why would you be doing it anyway? Okay, so that's it. Thank you for listening to our first Q&A episode. I've enjoyed answering these questions. And thank you again to those product voices out there that also gave some perspectives on these questions. Again, if you'd like to submit questions for the next Q&A episode, you can do so at productvoices.com. You can find us on Twitter at Prod Voices, or you can find me personally on Twitter at J-J-R-O-R-I-E, J-J Rory. 
You can uh, submit questions any of those ways, and I would love to hear from you. And I hope to see you on the next episode of Product Voices. Thank you for listening to Product Voices, hosted by J.J. Rory. To find more information on our guests, resources discussed during the episode, or to submit a question for our Q&A episodes, visit the show's website, productvoices.com, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. 